Do you sometimes feel like you're not being listened to or taken seriously? Or that you don't have the influence you need to make an impact at work? This is common early in our career, but truth be told, this impacts women up and down the leadership ladder, and even to women who've been leaders in their company for decades. In this episode, I have an expert who is here to talk about how you can gain more influence so you can make a big impact at work. If you are new to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, hello and welcome. I'm Jody Flynn. I'm an executive leadership coach, speaker, and author. I'm the current president of the board for the Maine Women's Conference, and I have the privilege and joy to work with women leaders to hone the skills and the mindset that allow them to grow into and then thrive in senior leadership. My specialization is working with women who are still stabilizing after their last promotion and those who want to be ready for the next one. It is my belief that for more women to hold positions of senior leadership, there are changes at the individual and organizational level that need to occur. Not only do women need to be trained and coached on how to operate at these levels of leadership, organizations need to change their paradigm of how the work gets done and what supports are in place for leaders to do their job. If we are not already connected on LinkedIn, please send me an invitation to connect. You can find me directly at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Jody Flynn, or you can search for Jody Flynn on the platform. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so I should be at or near the top of the search results. You'll see the follow up button is prominent on my profile, but if you click on the more button to the right, you'll find the option to connect. Click on that and be sure to add a note to the invitation letting me know you're a listener of the podcast. I would love to connect with you and get to know you better. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Women Taking the Lead podcast. I'm here with a very special guest, Carla Miller, who is also a leadership coach, and she's the host of the Chart Topping podcast, Influence and Impact for Female Leaders. She works with women in management and leadership roles to develop their careers and their confidence. And hundreds of women leaders from global companies, the public sector, and charities have taken part in her influence and impact program. So she's, she's busy and she's doing a lot of work and she, leadership is her game. And what's very exciting is she's now a published author with her book, Closing the Influence Gap. Carla, I am so excited to have you here. Welcome. And if you could, is there anything else you'd like to share with the women who are listening to this podcast that will give them a little bit more about you and perhaps like what's going on in your personal world? Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me. And my bio sounds so much better when it's read in a beautiful American accent. I love it. <laughs> I think I need to get you to introduce me wherever I go, Jody. I'm for hire. I will definitely do that. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, yes, that was a great description of me. I guess what it doesn't say is what I do outside of work, which is I spend most of the time being a solo parent to my almost five-year-old little boy who's just started school so we were just chatting earlier about how that's a bit all consuming at the moment being here for him at that time um but an exciting new transition for both of us 
Yes. I think, and it's interesting. We're coming into this change of season here in the U.S. I'm not exactly sure of the seasons in the U.K., but this time of year where cooler nights, less humidity, definitely a feel of transitioning into fall. And so you've got a lot of transition into new seasons going on in your life right now. Absolutely, especially with the new book. To be honest, we don't have a lot of humidity in the north of England. We don't have a lot of heat all year (laughs) round, but the leaves are starting to go a little bit orange. So that's as close to fall as we get. Yes. Awesome. And so, you know, reading your bio, I think everyone has a sense of what you have going on right now. Like you're definitely immersed into the leadership world and helping women in their careers and a lot of exciting things going on. But having read your book, I think there's something missing um, that I really want those who are listening to this episode and the conversation we're about to have to really give them a perspective on how good you are at what you do. So if you would share with, with myself and the, and, and the audience, what was your career path, your early career to mid career, and then coming into the work you do today? Sure. So I was one of those people that always wanted to make a difference and change the world. And at university, I went to the careers advisor and said, I want to work for charities, which is what we call nonprofits over here. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, there are no jobs and it doesn't pay anything. But a couple of years later, I did manage to find my way into the nonprofit world in a fundraising role and fell in love with fundraising and the connections you can make with people and the difference that you can make for various causes. Um, And I was quite ambitious, always wanted to to be the best I could, a bit of a perfectionist, well, in fact, a raving perfectionist in my younger years, pushing myself very hard. And in my first management role, I was so excited to have that first management role. And um, I wanted to be really different from the managers I'd had previously, some of whom had been quite mean, to be honest, there were some tears at work earlier on in my career. At one point, I thought I was unmanageable. So it is quite remarkable. I ended up with a great career (laughs) at the end of things and shows the difference that good management can make. Um, So I was managing my first person, Um, I'd hired her. um, And it wasn't working out very well. And I would take her aside in our one-to-ones and say to her, this isn't, this is what's not working. This is what needs to change. But because I wanted to be nice above all else, and it was really important to me to be liked and likable, I softened that so much that she didn't really take on board what I was trying to communicate. I wasn't very good at setting boundaries, setting expectations, holding her accountable for those expectations. And her performance just didn't improve. And in fact, sometimes she would kind of laugh at me as I was giving this feedback. And I was thinking, I wouldn't be laughing if someone was giving me this feedback. And it came to the end of her um, six months probation. And my director, who was very decisive, said to me, um, so how's she doing? And I said, well, I'd like to extend her probation because she's not performing well yet. And my director was like, nope, if she's not performing well in her first six months, this isn't going to happen. And she made me bring her in. And together, we had to end that poor girl's contract later that day and for me that was a huge lesson in the fact that being a manager isn't isn't about being liked all the time I thought that I was helping her by being so nice Mm. when actually I wasn't helping her at all I did not serve her well as a manager in that situation and I learned some really useful lessons about boundaries and expectations 
and tough decisions at that point. Um, luckily, I got a bit better at the managing <laughs> side of things. But I tell that story because I think it's really important to know that not many of us are natural leaders, even those of us that are teaching it mm-hmm. now. I'm working with hundreds, you know, the, the two of us both with a lot of people, don't we? But it's it, it doesn't come supernaturally to many people, if any. No, and your story really captures the evolution of most people's leadership journey, because we don't know necessarily what type of leader we want to be, but we know what leader we don't want to be. So it's almost like by, you know, through deduction, like that's a bad, like my last manager made me feel awful. So I'm going to make everyone feel wonderful. My last manager didn't communicate well, so I'm going to over communicate. Right. And so, (laughs) and, and in that process, right, we make mistakes right? Because it's not the exact fit or we realize, you know, although we want to be liked as managers, it's not helpful to the people we're leading if we're not being direct and clear and that sort of thing. So it's a very interesting journey in those early years. So thank you for sharing that because I know a lot of the women who are listening right now are in their first management role and probably feeling like they're messing it up and they're failing and they're really not. They're just in that learning curve and trying to get better. So you then very much went on, you know, from being a new leader to then being in positions where you were presenting to boards (laughs) with very serious people on the other side of the table. (laughs) I was, yeah. So I ended up uh, heading up fundraising teams, eventually becoming director of fundraising teams, often being promoted above my peers. And at that point, it was I'd mastered managing downwards. That bit I had, my team were brilliant, and I'd learned how to inspire a team. But it was then how did you get your peers and the people more senior than you to actually listen to what you were saying? And that's where I learned the importance of influencing. And that's why I love to talk to women about influencing, because we rarely actually get taught that, even on leadership programs and yet for me I don't know about for you but for me it was the key that unlocked everything getting people to actually listen to you take you seriously be seen as credible because I I was 29 um I looked about 23 which um is an asset as you get older but when you're young in your career you just want to be taken seriously I was reporting in and presenting to huge boards mainly men generally in their 50s and I was at least a decade younger than most of my peers um, and so, again, I had those struggles of how do I start to be taken seriously? And I spent a lot of time learning how to do that, um, learning how to build my confidence as well, because I often felt like an imposter mm-hmm. in those rooms. I felt like I was going to get found out, like I was faking it. Um, and I would have days where I would think, why have they even given me this job? Someone else could do this job so mm-hmm. much more effectively than I could yet on the outside and I find this with so many of my clients everyone would look at me and go she's so confident she's Mm. got it all sorted she never doubts herself at all and that's what I find with a lot of mid-level and senior level women is that we're we're a bit like swans aren't we? we we make it look so easy on the outside and yet there's quite a lot of personal cost to us and we are working very hard underneath the water just to keep going so that that that's where I ended up spending most of my career I had I still had um, perfectionist tendencies and I was still trying to prove to myself and everyone else that I deserved to be there and gave myself a bit of burnout at which point I took a break um, and rejigged 
my career and actually I encourage everybody to to have a little bit of time to think what do I actually want as opposed to just taking the opportunities that are put in front of you and going on that treadmill of expectations you know get the senior job title get paid more mm-hmm. buy the bigger house etc so I took some time out I'd had some coaching and loved it and decided to retrain as a coach, I couldn't actually believe there was a job out there that involved talking to people about what do you want to do with your life and how can you feel more confident? Um, That's my dream. I've always loved goals and planners and lists and five-year plans. So I was like, oh, amazing. There's a whole job about that. So I started, I retrained as a coach about 14 years ago now. And for a long time, I combined that with interim roles. So I went on to become chief exec of a small charity for babies with heart problems called Tiny Tickers, which is like the best name for a charity mm. <laughs> ever. And then I also did a detour into recruitment um, and ended up as managing director of a leading recruitment consultancy for the sector I was in here in the UK, which again was interesting because I was leading people who literally taught me recruitment over the previous year and so flexing my style and influencing my peers and that side of things. But by then I knew exactly how to do it and mm-hmm. It was a really enjoyable process. So that leads me to today, where the last few years I've been focusing primarily on working with women. I just love the energy that women bring. And you will know this, when you bring a collection of women together in a room and create a safe space for them, magic happens. And the support that they offer each other, the learning they get from each other. So I have a community called Influence and Impact, where senior women have a space to learn and grow and support each other. And I'll be honest, they learn as much from each other as they do from me in there. And I am all about that. And I learn as much from them as well. And I think that's really important, isn't it? As leaders, whether that's leading a community or leading a team, we don't always have to be the most knowledgeable person in the room. And we don't always have to have the right answers, do we? No, no. In fact, what I found is as I've risen in leadership and, you know, especially currently right now being the president of the board for the Maine Women's Conference, there are 16 brilliant women who are also on the board with me. My job is really to bring them together and facilitate conversations so they can bring their expertise, their wisdom, their experience to the table. And collectively, we can come to really great decisions and conclusions as a group. And I think I I 100% agree with you. I think to some extent, women do thrive when there is a collective, when there Mm -hmm. is a group process involved. I think sometimes men, they like going off on their own. They like their buddies and sharing and mentoring and all of that. But I don't know that the group experience is a draw for them as much as it is for women. We're more um, designed for sharing and collaborating and working together. And I agree, whenever I've done a, a group program, they might join because of me or the content that I'm going to provide. But when I ask, like, what were the biggest benefits of this program? Getting to know the other participants ranks like in the top five reasons why they love the program, you know, if not in the top two or three. And yeah, it's that is the magic of women. And I think we're very lucky to be able to spend our time focusing on that audience. And um, I created the book so that I could work with more people without having to do it directly. So not everyone can join a group program. Mm -hmm. I'm based in the UK, there are costs to it, but actually 
the book was designed to bring that to people on their desks and give them that same feeling of I'm not alone in this and the fact that I have these struggles isn't because I'm broken there's nothing wrong with me actually what I'm experiencing is completely normal is partly due due to gender bias and also there are some skills and strategies and tools I can use that can really help me in the workplace with my career and my confidence. I love that you brought that up because the episode that just came out on uh, September 12th. So for anyone who's listening to this far into the future, if you go back to September 12th of 2022, Carla just released an episode that was all around, you don't need fixing. There's nothing wrong with you. Here are the conditions that you're faced with and that cause you to perhaps doubt yourself or question your abilities. And Carla, I, I, I always love um, the saying that your mess is your message, right? What you experienced in your career and what you learn along the way is what you want to share with others, you know, so we go from that place in leadership where we're trying to figure out our leadership style. So we're, you know, coming from that place of, I don't want to be like the bad managers I have, but then we're kind of like figuring it out on our own. We make some mistakes, we learn from them, and then we take that learning and we want to pass it on to others. And I've noticed there's a theme here with your business and your podcast and the book, the word influence. So what had you really doubling down on women's ability to influence in their workplace? It really emerged from two things. One, the experiences that I had had and realizing that once I could get that room full of people to actually listen to me, my career and work just became so much easier. But the other thing was I was doing a lot of one-to-one coaching and I was having the same conversations with women all the time where these were extremely capable, intelligent women. They were confident. Yes, they experienced some self-doubt, but they were confident. And yet they weren't being listened to in the rooms that they were going into. Their opinions weren't being valued and they were feeling increasingly frustrated. And yes, you can absolutely move to a new employer that maybe listens to you and values you more, but actually those issues were happening all over the place. And so I started just sharing the approach that I had taken. um, And now I've turned it into a model, but it was just a really simple approach. I shared it with some of my coaching clients and they went and put it into action. And they were like, it was so simple. And yet it worked. And now I can start to understand how to influence others. And for me, that's really about being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Because what happens is we often get entrenched in looking at things from our own perspective. Uh, And from our own perspective, particularly if we've been in a bit of a battle with someone for a period of time over a particular situation or the dynamics of the relationship, it can be really, really hard to recognize that what we see isn't factual. It is just a perspective. And there are other perspectives you can take to look at it differently. And the other person looking at the same situation might look and feel completely differently about it. And so that's where influencing really brings all of that together. For me, it's just the perfect word to sum up that mixture of credibility and seeing different perspectives and entering into conversations with people, not to persuade them of your agenda, but to create an agenda that works for both of you. Um, So that's why I'm 
passionate about influencing as a skill. And for me, having influence, I mean, let's face it, influence is a more feminine version of power. Like I could have called it the power gap. I could talk about powerful women. Generally, and particularly here in the UK, that does not land mm. very well because we haven't been brought up to associate power with women. And in fact, when we have, it's often a bit of a negative. So the word influence to me is about the ability to create change, the ability to make things better. And that is the version of power that I like to have. And it's a version of power that my clients like to have. You really chose great words for the work that you do because it is power, but you're right. A lot of women will hear power and hear control and dominance, and that's not what it's about. And you, you ask most women, they'll say like, I don't want, I don't want power, but I want to make a difference. I want to help make change, right? So impact, I want impact. I want to know that like, I can see how this could be better, but in order for that to come about, I need people to listen to me. I need people to come along and, and have conversations. So that's about, and getting people's listening and respect that's influence. Do you have a challenge you'd be willing to share? There's so much that can be gained by listening to what another woman is going through and to understanding the strategy she will implement to overcome the challenge she's faced with. For this reason, I do on-air coaching calls on this podcast. If you are a woman leader who has been promoted or taken on a new role in the last year, I invite you to apply to be on the Women Taking the Lead podcast. You will be completely anonymous, so you won't need to worry about anyone you work with listening to you talk about your challenges. You will gain insights and strategies to overcome any challenge you're faced with at work. And the other women listening to your episode will learn from your experience and gain insights that they can use at work. You can find the link that will take you to the application in the episode description in your podcast app or at the bottom of the episode page on the Women Taking the Lead website. What I really appreciated about your book, Carla, and as I was reading it, I was like, yes, the first time it came up. And then when it came up with senior leaders and you doubled down on it, I was like, yes, it came back to before you do anything, tend to the relationship, either Build it newly or repair it if there has been, you know, like you said, a history of being entrenched with a particular person because, and, you know, interesting, your podcast talked about gender bias um, as well. Um, and I listened to it today. So it's like right on my brain. Like, yes, you're dealing with gender bias. You're going into a room and new situations and relationships where there's probably some gender bias, but the gender bias is generalized, right? The other individual might have a bias that women, you know, like, oh, you said this perfectly, like men are assumed competent until proven incompetent and women are assumed incompetent until proven competent. So there might be that bias that a person is holding where generally women are incompetent, but if they get to know you as a person, as an individual, and they get to experience 
you know, your knowledge, your passion, what you're capable of, that bias starts to go away. And it sounds kind of strange. They no longer put you in that category of women generalized. You are now competent, but that takes building the relationship so that they can see you as an individual among all the other benefits of building relationship. Absolutely. It's if you like someone, you are more likely to listen to them. If you trust them, if you feel valued by them, then you will be more open-minded, even when they're talking to you about something that perhaps you've got quite a firm opinion on. And I think it does make all of the difference. And I think most women don't spend enough time proactively building those relationships with senior stakeholders. And in fact, we're not encouraged to. So uh, studies show that women are given feedback that says, build relationships with people, make sure you've got a nice relationship with people at your level. um, And you could be more confident. Men are told to strategically build relationships with senior stakeholders. And where they're given feedback, it's very specific, they are being prepared for leadership in a way that we aren't. And I also think we are naturally, because society has created us to be like this, we are more focused on our team and looking after our team. We don't spend enough time thinking about ourselves and our own workload and our own strategy and career. And we don't spend enough time scanning the horizon and going out and proactively building relationships with senior stakeholders, influencing And that's why I encourage people to do a bit of an audit when they start a new role or if they want to be more effective at influencing and think, who has the ability to impact my team's performance um, and also my career? And how can I go and start to build relationships with them proactively now rather than trying to do it on the back foot when something comes up? Absolutely. I had a client who her boss's boss was in a different country. And he was going to be coming here for a visit. And she she said, oh, my boss wants me to spend time with him. I'm, she was feeling like a little like sick to her stomach, nervous, anxious, like, how is this going to go? And we had a whole conversation around this person is a human being, right? He has a family. He has aspirations and goals and hobbies and family members who drive him crazy. And, you know, all of the things like we were, we had a conversation of look to the commonalities. Sometimes we, you know, someone in authority, yes, of course, we want to treat them with respect and appreciate that they are an authority figure, right? You're not going to tell your favorite dirty joke to your boss's boss upon meeting them, right? There's, there is, you know, a certain way to have those conversations. But if you can remind yourself that they are people and they care, right? Sometimes they get entrenched because they care so much. And I love how you you said, like, you're putting yourself in the other person's shoes and seeing where they're coming from and how that can help really makes a difference. Absolutely. Um, And I think it's, it it can be hard to do that when when we let uh, status and hierarchy get in the way can't it? And it's just trying to find that first human bit of discussion to have that, like you say, um, do you say the thing that they have in common, the commonality, Mm -hmm. finding that just then unlocks that conversation, doesn't it? Because you then both feel at ease and it becomes much easier from there. And that's why I do think it's important to bring your whole self to work and to talk about things other than what you do at work, because those are hooks 
that people mm-hmm. can use to build relationships with you. They can be interested in your hobbies or your pets or your partner or your children or where you've been on holiday. Um, those little bits of small talk actually can be the start of a relationship. You don't have to dive straight in with something super, super intelligent and thoughtful. Absolutely. Yes. It's usually that little thing, that commonality that opens up and unlocks an even better conversation. One other thing I really appreciated about your book, Carla, is you get really specific about how to navigate some of these situations in, in to the extent of what questions to ask yourself before going into a situation, what questions you can ask the other person. And you give great examples of your own lived experience of how you've had to do some really hard things. And one thing I appreciated was the part of the book where you talked about where it was positioning giving feedback to, to especially a senior person, or it really could have been applied to anybody where it's really about reframing it, right? I'm about to disagree and tell them, I think they're completely wrong and that they need to look at it from another way to share with everyone, you you know, that formula for, and, and like how you put it so that you come out looking great after just telling somebody, I disagree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's a way to give feedback upwards that um, can take some of the tension out of it, basically. And I do encourage people to, I think we can healthily disagree upwards. And in fact, as leaders, I think it's important that we feel able to do that. And you have to sometimes, right? You absolutely have to. (laughs) Exactly. And so I teach a method of giving feedback downwards, which is you talk about the behavior, the consequences and the action. But you can't do that upwards. There is a hierarchy. You have to be seen to respect the hierarchy. And I think very important when you're giving feedback upwards is that you are not challenging someone's authority. You can challenge a decision, you can challenge a way of thinking, but you can't, what you don't want to do is challenge their authority because that puts their back up. So I talk about depersonalizing it and you talk about, well, this is the situation that is happening. This is what I'm talking about. And then this is why, these are the consequences of the situation. This is why it's problematic. And then these are, this is a proposed solution of what we could do differently. And this is the new outcome that we could expect from that. So if, for example, you want to say to your line manager that you'd like them to do something differently, you could say, so the situation is, I've noticed when you come out of leadership team meetings, you often come to my desk, you're obviously feeling a lot of tension and you give me a list of things to do. The consequence of that is that I um, find myself really disrupted by that and I don't feel like I'm getting the information in the most helpful way possible. And actually, I really want to be able to make sure I'm helping you so that you can represent our work in these meetings. Um, A solution could be that we schedule a sit down after those meetings, maybe a couple of hours later, where we can talk it through and I can proactively get from you what I need so that I can do my job as well as possible and support you. And the outcome would be you will look better in those meetings and I will be less stressed in the process. That wasn't necessarily the best example, but the the idea is that you pitch them an idea as a 
solution to a problem and you seem strategic when actually what you're doing is giving them feedback on their behavior, but not in a way that they can really be defensive about. Right. And that's the same formula you use when giving feedback to a team member as well, right? You name the behavior, you name what the consequence of it, like how it, what's the negative impacts of this behavior and what you would like to see in the future. And I loved how you also explained, if you miss this part of it, this is where you leave the other person. If you miss talking about the consequences, this is where they're left. It's just, it was so brilliant, Carla. I really appreciated that. And also one of the lines in the book where, and for those of you listening, grab this one. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't tell you X, Y, Z, right? Or I wouldn't be doing my job properly if I didn't talk about the risks of the decision that you want to make. It's it's coming from that place of, I'm disagreeing with you, but this is what you've hired me for. And this is part of my job. Absolutely. And I came up with that phrase when I was in, I was doing an interim senior role and I was in a room full of literally a hundred decision makers. And they were making a decision on a fundraising strategy that I had overseen. Um, and I hadn't been able to influence them directly. It all went via the chief execs. It was the first time I'd met most of them. And they wanted to just throw out what we proposed and double or triple our fundraising target. And they just weren't open to hearing anything else. And they were about to make that decision. And I basically asked to speak and said, I just wouldn't be doing my job properly if I didn't explain to you the consequences of that decision. And and people listened and they took it on board. And I wasn't necessarily very popular, but they did realize that I am an expert at what I do. I'm not trying to be right for the sake of it. I am concerned for them about the outcome. And I want them to know all the facts before making that decision. And I think as leaders, we can do that. There will be things that are outside of our control. Mm -hmm. And what we want to know is that we have picked the right battles to fight, and then we have fought them as best we can. And some of those will win, some of them we won't. But then we can go back to our teams and say, look, this was a decision that was made. This was why I advocated for this, but this has been made and this is what we're going to live with and go and get on with and turn into something successful. But I think it's it's just having the courage of your convictions to be able to, to challenge, but I wasn't challenging their authority. I wasn't saying you shouldn't make a decision, you don't know what you're doing. I was saying, I just want to make sure that you really know what the consequences of this are going to be. And that phrase has turned out to be very popular with my <laughs> clients as well. You don't want to use it all the time. Don't overuse it. Right. Because it starts to lose its its value and you sound like you're being sar- sarcastic or it's Absolutely. Yeah. But it's one to pull out the bag when this battle is really important and you want to make sure that you've done everything you can to get your point across. Yeah. And, you know, as you're talking, Carla, you know, it really, um, it's about short-term and long-term consequences and benefits, right? Do you want to be liked in the short term, but ultimately proven incompetent or invaluable in the long term? Or would you like to be perceived as problematic in the short term, right? Because you are the person talking about here are the risks, here's where it could go wrong, but ultimately in the long term, being seen as valuable and appreciated, right? Like sometimes we have to take the unpopular stance initially. But once everything plays out, people will realize, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Like somebody was there 
to talk about these things. And like you said, right from the get-go, it's not always easy being the leader or being the manager. It can be very uncomfortable sometimes, but it's really, but if you focus on what is the goal, what impact do you want to have and what's the right thing to do that will help guide you. Yes. And I think we can be likable without being liked all the time. And and there's a distinction. And I try and explain this to some of my, uh, some of those clients that are earlier in their career and really want to be liked is being likable is about how you show up every day. It's about how you value your team, how you value other people about doing your job. Well, being liked in a specific conversation is very separate from that. And yes, you might have to give someone some feedback they don't want. And yes, they probably will go home to their partner or their flatmate and be negative about you that evening, but they'll come in the next day and they'll do a good job. They'll have forgotten about it by next week because they feel valued and respected by you. You've built that long-term relationship and that works upwards as well. So I think we we can be likable. We don't have to give up being likable. And in fact, as women, unfortunately, to progress, we often do need to be likable overall. But that doesn't mean every decision we make and every statement we make has to be liked. Yes. And more often than not, people come to realize it's it wasn't personal to them. Mm-hmm. It was just the situation. Well, for those of you listening, Carla has like we've just touched on the surface of all the value she provides in her book, Closing the Influence Gap. So I encourage you to download the Kindle version, buy the, buy the copy so that you have it. It is, it is something that you are going to keep on your bookshelf and probably read and reread because there's so, so many good insights and strategies for how to approach different situations. So Carla, if you don't mind, where can everyone find your book? So you can find it from any major bookstore online. It's called Closing the Influence Gap. Um, and there's a Kindle version and a paperback version. You can also find me on Instagram at this is Carla Miller. Um, and I'm mainly active on LinkedIn. So come and follow me on LinkedIn. I'm there most days sharing what's going on in yes. my world. Um, I love LinkedIn as a place to connect. It's where I found you, in fact, Jodie. Um, and Jodie is coming on my podcast as well. Yay. So come over and listen to Jodie feature on my podcast too. I'll definitely be sharing that. And everyone listening here knows and they hear me say all the time, if we're not connected on LinkedIn, come so we can all hang out there. It really, I would say since the pandemic started, LinkedIn has really become the a, a whole new space. It's not so dry <laughs> and, and crusty as it used to be. It really is a wonderful place to have good conversations. So Carla, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Oh, thank you so much, Jodie. It's been a real pleasure. What were your takeaways from my conversation with Carla? Could you see opportunities to cultivate your ability to influence at work? Head over to LinkedIn to share your thoughts and takeaways on the posts corresponding to this episode. I would love to hear what stood out most for you. If your last promotion has you experiencing and confronting challenges you haven't faced before, consider working with me. I would love to support you through this transition help you get your bearings and feeling confident in your leadership once again. You can find a link to schedule a time to chat with me in the episode description. 
you're listening through a mobile device, the link will be in your podcast app. And if you're listening through the Women Taking the Lead website, the link will be toward the bottom of the episode webpage. If you're going to ask your company to sponsor you to work with a coach, there's also a link to access a checklist that will help you prepare for the conversation. As always, I hope this was of value to you and here's to your success.